You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Please go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I am on a uh, three-part series where I'm uh, addressing really not so much spiritual battle, although that will be spoken of here for sure today, but uh, it's actually the idea of the unseen world, the unseen kingdoms, or the unseen realm. And uh, so I'm addressing those things so that we can get started. As you find your way in your Bibles, and i got to get my setup going here for a moment, one of the reasons for that is, is, you know, I don't know how else to say this, but it's like somebody kicked up a lot of demon dust you know, they're, they're just the, the division in our society, the division in our community uh, that I am concerned about. And we can talk about those things in the surface, or we can talk about the deeper spiritual issues related to them and invite God to come in with great power, which is what he wants to do. And so I want to get after what the Bible says on these significant issues. So uh, last week was a message about unseen realms, and this one is called About Those Powers and Principalities. And so let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come now uh, to enter into your word, to ask for you, Lord God, to, to, be, to be not just the king of the universe, but the king of this moment. Uh, God, to enter into us, to save us, to change us, to transform us, to be glorified. God, we're desperate. We need, we need your help, Lord. And so we pray now that you would truly come to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people say. Amen. So uh, verse 10, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And I'll just pause right there by way of introduction where the Lord is saying, Finally, be strong in the strength of the Lord, the strength of his might. Earlier in Ephesians, lots of theology. Lots of positional truth is what it's called. Lots of uh, when you become a Christian, you're actually in the heavenlies. You know what I got to do? Hang on, guys. This is actually, I'm not really OCD, but I got enough of it right now to where it wasn't centered. So there we go. X marks the spot. I feel better. I don't know if anybody else feels better. I feel better. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> related to that, uh, Paul's going to really enter into some real theology beforehand, things called positional truth. And he's going to talk about we are in Christ, uh, what Christ has done, uh, how he's broken through in our lives, what it means to be a Christian. It's incredible. He's going to actually mention being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to use in chapter 5 an illustration related to drunkenness. Be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You think that thing through, you realize that if you're taking a subject that can make you inebriated, then that substance is taking you over, whether it's alcohol, uh, whether it's any other kind of substance, that substance is then controlling you. That's the actual principle that he's talking about. Let the Holy Spirit control you. That would be really good advice, church. Let the Holy Spirit control you. And so uh, now we're here talking about uh, the truth of this unseen realm. So last week at the church, we had baptism. And so when you get baptized, this is, you know, you are saved, you give your life to Christ, be baptized in the Spirit. It's more than one fillings that happen in your lifetime. But when you enter into the waters of baptism, as Jesus entered into the waters of baptism as well, you are actually 
opening doors that are going to open to spiritual conflict in your life for divine purposes, for God to be glorified. You're now a conqueror. In fact, the Bible is going to say in Romans 8 that you're more than a conqueror. And so baptism is that open door for victory over the darkness, over these dark powers and principalities. And so the enemy wants to, wants to leverage things that we're hurt by and things that are troubling our souls. He wants to leverage those things. So Paul here is going to say, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need to pray about this. We need to have great understanding about them. Let's talk about this armor, about the armor. So verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. I want to pause right there. Put on the whole armor of God. So part of what that means is somewhere it's possible for us maybe to not put on the whole armor of God. And so this actually is very well and easy to understand. I can remember when I was coaching little buddies in football back in the day. And so I loved coaching the littlest kids. You know, the kids where the uniform doesn't fit on them. You know, and, and, and so this one little boy, his uniform did not fit on him at all. In fact, I won't mention him right now, but he'd go on to be an incredible football player. But when he was just a little buddy, boy, that helmet was kind of, you know, couldn't get on him straight. And so at the line of scrimmage, he had the habit, right, of taking off his helmet because he couldn't see. <laughs> Because <laughs> that helmet constantly was blocking him. So he, he'd take off his helmet in some way, you know, like, oh, okay, there you are, you know. And half of them are classmates, so they're making fun of each other. And then he's trying to put it back on, you know, and coaches and parents are behind him trying to say hike. And so this kid's getting needed, like, son, you got to keep your helmet on the whole time. You can't take that thing off in order to see you're going to get hurt. We don't want you to get hurt. And so while that's kind of cheeky and sort of fun, and I know you guys can understand that, that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, put on the whole armor of God. When you have a helmet on, when you have the things that I'll describe in a few moments that Paul is describing, you put it on and you keep it on. And the next day you make sure you're wearing it. And when you go around in life, you're buckling those things down nice and tight. Your strength is going to come from God. Strengthen, as Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 says, with all power and might, to put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that in your scripture should be getting your attention. That you're going to put the whole armor of God. So it's not just in the first illustration where I told you about a little boy who's trying to get his helmet on. Now, now we're kind of into some big leagues where we're talking about a soldier. And a soldier going into battle is actually going to have special equipment on. And our soldiers have all kinds of equipment on, but they have special equipment, special technology, and they're going to be wearing that. Or, of course, if you're a professional athlete, especially a professional football player, you are not at all at all going to be playing on Sundays without your uniform on. If you don't have your shoulder pads, you don't have your helmet, you're going to be injured in a very serious way. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, put on this whole armor of God. Remember, the Bible is talking about something that you can either embrace or not. The Bible is talking about something very, really serious. There's an unseen world. And that unseen world troubles you. 
It is the deeper truth and the deeper root system behind your family's problems and business problems and personal problems and all kinds of things is part of what is going on. And so Paul now is going to solve some of those problems by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on this armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, which means that there is some sort of operation in the demonic world that is coming against you. Do you feel on occasion or constantly that there are waves and waves of demonic activity against you? I think we're going to say yes to that. That is normal if you're following Christ. That is normal. It's not necessarily because of sin. It is often because of your pursuit of God. So stand against schemes. So you're going to say stand against schemes. Now what I find interesting about the word stand, look in your Bible where it says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. So Listen, I, don't, I, I want to say this really humbly because I've been in the martial arts now for getting maybe two and a half years. And so I, I, I take Kung Fu and I really enjoy it. I really, really enjoy it. So I say that because you might not know in our church, we have a number of black belts and former professional fighters. We really do. We have people who have multiple, multiple degrees of black belts. So we don't just have people who have a black belt. We have like, you know, third, fourth, fifth degree, and they've been doing this their whole life, and a few of them are just outstanding at it. And so I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm just a Johnny-come-lately. I'm enjoying this. But uh, so just with that disclaimer to my friends that are actually extremely excellent at this, here's the thing. It says, stand. So you write in your Bible <clears throat> that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So when you're talking about self-defense, when you're talking about like, you know, this street self-defense, one of the things that you get educated in is that most fights end up on the ground. So if I, if I, had, if I wanted to, I could pick up my friends that are actually experts in this and they would all raise their hand and go, yep, that's exactly right. So there's just a weird statistic that in terms of combat, you actually find yourself like on the ground a lot. And so yet this says in combat with the Lord, as the Lord wants you, that you stand up. So the only way you stand up is that you learn to stand up with a little bit of a wider base and with some sort of defensive posture so that you are ready for this attack. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Remember that we don't fight by carnal means. We don't get down on the ground where other people are. We don't become scummy, if you will, in our battle methodologies. We're godly people seeking Christ. This is holy warfare. And so we're going to stand up. Let the righteousness of Christ be defending us. We're going to actually stand up with courage and boldness. We're going to actually stand up, which is what are you going to say at least twice in this section, that we are actually to stand up against the schemes of the devil. Scheme. Really fascinating word. I actually really enjoyed studying this word. And it, uh, it kind of surprised me, uh, this word scheme, because I've studied this section a lot and I actually learned something new. This word scheme, uh, very unique uh, to the Bible, used pretty much only here. It's a compound word. I'm not going to repeat it to you in the original language, but this word scheme is related to a journey. And someone who would go on a journey with you, and they would go on a journey, but they can actually be like a shapeshifter. They can actually change. They can actually change as they're going along with you. And the reason why they're going on this journey with you and the reason why they're changing their shape is actually to trip you up and take you down. And that's exactly what the evil one is trying to do in your life and in our society. 
He's trying to go on a journey with you in order to trip you up and trick you in some way, shape, or form. So I was, I was sort of a, a, found this interesting. Yesterday I came on, as I usually do uh, on Saturdays, I come just have a little quiet time walking around. I'm praying for us. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for this service. And so I don't know if you looked around. We got a lot of work going on around here. And, uh, and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I call this our event center out here, which is not really the right way to think of it, but we have a new platform out there. It's flat, it's nice, it's gorgeous. The, the fresh new sod, all that stuff has gopher wire in it. So, uh, so you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I might be at the point where I don't know why God created gophers. And, and I would be, I would be okay, you know. Uh, so... <clears throat> So there's more on the other side. So I'm over here on this platform, this area over here, and I'm just praying and looking around, and a gopher snake was out. Now, what was funny was that you could tell this gopher snake's going, like, well, where'd, where'd my holes go? <laughs> you know, like, like I, can't, I can't find my way in here. I'm watching this big, long snake just kind of make its way, meander out over there. And I thought, I thought, geez, we have built this out. It's being nice. It's gorgeous. Continue to do all kinds of things around here. And we have a snake in our garden. Right? And then the Lord just talks to me. He goes, you know, I, there, were once, there once was a creature bold enough as a snake to enter my garden. I thought, oh, that's right. That's right. It's so interesting, Lord. You'd have me visually see this snake. Something to remind me of what we're talking about here, that God had created things so beautiful and so good, and that the devil was bold enough to enter into this beautiful place of God in this form of the snake creature that is, is kind of vague, actually what it might have really looked like in Scripture, but, but to actually bring sin and temptation and, and, and everything dark and negative into the world through Adam and Eve. And so, so it was just so fascinating because we're talking about a scheme, something that would go on a journey with you. You think it's a friend, but it's not. I'm talking about spiritually. But the whole purpose of it is to have a shape-shifting so it'll actually trip you up. And here we've done something nice and beautiful and pretty, and then there's a snake there. And it's like that is exactly how the evil one, how the evil one works. Paul's going to continue in a very, in very important Important teaching in verse 12, for we do not wrestle. Everybody say the word wrestle. We do not wrestle. And, and I want you to get this. This is so important. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's why we do not do warfare like that. That's the whole purpose of this three-part series here. Our wrestlings are not against flesh and blood. But against, now there's a list of rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, this present darkness, spiritual force of evil in heavenly places. The idea of wrestling, really, really very, very blunt in the scriptures. The idea of wrestling is actually to grab you, literally to grab you. And it's to hold you so that you can't go anywhere. And then to press you down. That's what the word wrestling means. And to actually hold you down. To get everything that they have on you. And to actually choke you. And literally, if they could, to drown you out. That's that word wrestle. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like, what just happened? What, what just grabbed me? which just has a hold of me and is trying to press and press and press me down. 
And part of what makes this so challenging to the believer is that, is that some in this economy is God's sovereignty, where God will sovereignly be growing you, which, which, is, which is sometimes comes with testing, sometimes comes with challenges that he's placing before you and entering into the sovereignty of God to destroy you, to grab you, to wrestle you, to press you down, to try and choke you out as a devil. So you might look at some circumstances and say, well, you know, this is really difficult. And, and then it's all the more difficult because of what the evil one is doing. But this word wrestling literally means that, to hold you down and choke you out and drown you out. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. So rulers is another compound word strong enough to hold on to you. And, but it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing at all. So you might think uh, of a hero in like a movie. And so stereotypically the hero is going to be the hero in the action movie. And so there's somebody who needs to be saved. And so there's a helicopter. The hero grabs a hold of the helicopter, right? It's always with one arm, right? The bicep and tricep are always nice and toned, all the way to the pectoralis muscles, right? Latissimus dorsi is looking very good, right? Always a tight shirt or something like that. And they're holding on to the helicopter forever, right? As if somebody can do that. And then the helicopter is going to come down to the person. Bullets are flying, all this kind of thing. And they grab the person with one arm, right? And they're going to fly to the air as if this is ever going to happen. But, you know, we're going to believe it anyway. And they're going to hold on to that person while that helicopter just flies away ever because they can hold on to him. You're never going to let that person go. And then the next scene is, of course, all normal hugs. Oh, we thank you for saving me and all of that. Okay, so this word ruler here is talking about a power that's strong enough to grab you but not let you go. So all of these words, if you realize, you go, hey, pastor, they sound kind of similar. Yes, yes. It's exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is actually chained to a, to a military soldier of Roman times. And he's looking at that guy. And God has given him the revelation and say, this is how this unseen world works. And Paul had that open to him at one time. And so with that, with that, Paul is actually further describing these things in great detail. And he's saying it's not just to wrestle where you've been thrown down and kept down. It's not just these rulers, but these rulers can grab you and hold on to you and hold on to you. Probably the best way to understand uh, this ruler, this word related to it is again in sort of a jujitsu boxing or that kind of thing. There's an arm bar where somebody can arm bar you, rest you to the ground and get you to tap out. That would be that these rulers, and they're real, and he's not, he's not messing around with that. Uh, these authorities, the authorities, what the authority means is simply abilities to choose against God, and these demons have the ability to choose against God and make choices that are actually against you. These rulers, authorities, these cosmic powers over this present darkness and in this world. Against spiritual forces, the Bible is going to say, in heavenly places. So let's talk about these spiritual forces. <clears throat> Cross-reference, if you will, church to Job chapter 1. So just know it. Just tap it down in your phone. I'm just going to talk about that in kind of a broad and more cursory word as we talk about Job chapter 1. So Job chapter 1, really interesting because 
the devil comes to God and he's going to face him. And he's going to ask for permission. He's going to say, hey, God, and uh, can I take Job out? And so before the Lord says, hey, Satan, where you been? Now, the Lord knows where he's been, <laughs> right? Just part of the dialogue. He says, well, uh, I've been to and fro. And he goes, hey, have you checked out my buddy Job? Yeah, Job, yeah, this is what Satan says to Job. The only reason he loves you is because you do him right. Now, can I tell you that that's not the right way to talk to God? That is how the evil one talks to him. And so he accuses God of wrongdoing. That is the devil's way. And so he accuses God of wrongdoing. He says that Job only loves you, God, because you bless him, because you do right by him. So Satan seeks permission to attack Job, and he's going to do three things in this attack. And I want you to understand that these are the devil's attack, not just in our lives, but in our friends' lives. And part of our ministry to one another is to break the devil off of people's lives. And so first, he's going to, he's going to attack Job, and he's going to destroy his financial wealth. Isn't that a bummer? Yeah, he's going to destroy your financial wealth. I have seen this over and over in so many people's lives. In fact, sometimes I actually, I feel like pastorally, sometimes I go too far in helping people talk about their financial health and wealth. Uh, usually when I meet with young guys who've gotten married, this is one of the first conversations that I have with them. In fact, this one young guy got married, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm talking to him, and I, I, you know, I thought I'd go through the Bible with him, but then I wanted to help him to understand and meet some people and get his financial house in order. He wasn't necessarily in trouble, but he's like, hey, you've got a chance to do very well. I want you to line up on this. He goes, Pastor, why are you talking to me about this? I go, is it important? It's important. I go, I go, listen, you're 25. Do you have life insurance? Do you have a plan? Do you have these kind of other things? Do you have investment strategies? You're actually a working professional. You have a, you have a chance. You should meet these people. You should make these plans. You should definitely be participating in saving investment. Thank you for tithing. All of that kind of stuff. You need to be doing that. And he looks at me and he goes, well, 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 Why? I just do my thing, Pastor. I just make money. I'm always going to make more than enough money and all that kind of thing. And I sit there and I go, I go, so now here's I get his attention. I go, listen, my brother, there's somebody called the devil out there. And so since, since you're young and you're married, then let me just give it to you this way. In language, you're going to understand as a young man, your woman's going to love you for this. You keep your financial house in order and keep distant from the enemy, whacking and taking you down. Your wife's going to bless you for it. I begin to describe that. He goes, okay, who do you want me to call? <laughs> That's the right answer, my brother. The devil wants to attack our financial wealth and health. He wants to take, so for Job, he took away his family. So he took away his finances. That's a bummer. Then he took away his family. And then he took away, he took away uh, his health. So his money, his family, and his health. God would restore him. There'd be a conversation that would take place, series of conversation. So one buddy says, it's not doctrinally correct. And that's why, that's, why, that's why Job is sometimes a hard book to read because uh, the way the language works. But his first friend is saying, hey, Job, you know what happened to you? What goes around comes around. That's what happens to you. Don't ever believe that that's not biblical. 
That's not the way it is. God is for you. God has saved you. God wants to bless you. He wants to strengthen you. If you've had bad things happen to you, he wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. He wants to pull you to himself. In the kingdom of God, it's not what goes around, comes around. No, not at all. So one friend says to Job, what goes around, comes around. Another, another, another one says, Job, you've been proud. You have been proud. Don't you understand that? This is your pride, brother. This is your pride. And Job says, I know I can be proud, but if you were watching this somewhere in the sovereignty of God, I didn't have anything to do with this. And then there's a young man who says, you know what? I don't understand any of this. It might be the Lord. Why don't we turn our hearts to God? And God will come and visit with him and he will, and he will restore him. He will restore him in good measure. Listen, church, what I'm trying to tell you is that this is in the Bible. There is an unseen world. In Christ, you can have victory over it. There are actually demons. There are actually spiritual battles, and you do not have to be victimized towards them. No matter what, you're going to be affected by that, and you can see Christ deliver you from them. It sometimes will get other people around you, and is definitely in our community. There are schemes. There are patterns, and Christ has actually broken them off. Last week, I told you that that's why Christ was so quiet about the resurrection so often during his uh, time on earth. He would heal somebody and say, don't talk about that. He would do a miracle and say, don't talk about that because he needed to get on the cross. Let me share some thoughts with you. We'll run for home. Not every spiritual battle is because of sin. Most spiritual battle really is because God wants to do something with you, something special, something supernatural, and you don't quite see it. You don't quite understand it. You've got to go on the journey with them. And I'm here to tell you, pastor knows this personally, and I've seen God bless me through it, even though there's been some painful times. So years ago, when the church was first starting out, God was trying to get my attention on some things. And so he actually brought some very good people into my life to help me to talk about some things that are really personal, things like pride. Now, pride's really tricky, right? You know, because, you know, you sit there and say, hey, listen, brother, man, I, you know, I want to help you out, pastor. I, I see some pride in you. And, you know, then the Christian response is, okay, okay, great. I confess that I'm proud. Okay, well, that isn't really, you know, that isn't really going to take it all out necessarily, right? And so, so you're going to go on a journey with pride. How do you get rid of pride? You just got to go on a journey with the Lord. The only way I know to understand a deliverance of pride is to say that I'm a proud man kneeling at the cross. That's the only way I know that. And so uh, anyway, I began to try and figure out how to do, how to lead our church. And anyway, everything was going from bad to worse and bad to worse and bad to worse and bad to worse to the point where my accountant finally walks in my office and says, okay, famous words. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. Pastor, you're done. We're completely broke. We have absolutely no money as a church. It's time for you to go somewhere else. I mean, I remember that. This was a long, long time ago, years and years ago. Our church has been open about, what, 16, 17 years. But I remember that. And I remember looking at him going, what? Every decision you've made has not worked out. Everything you've tried to do has not gotten us where we need to get. 
you're done. I'll be lucky in seven days to pay what we owe, and you're going to be in pretty good debt. Okay. So being so godly, I handled that by going surfing. <laughs> it's gospel truth. I did. I went and paddled. I paddled. I tried to paddle all the way to the deepest part of the ocean and back. <clears throat> then I thought about Job, and I hurried back. So, so listen, just stay with me. I'm telling you this personal testimony to help you understand that God is, so, is growing you and oftentimes he's gonna use these spiritual battles because when I thought, heard that word done, I thought, man, maybe I am. And then when I saw the consequences of my actions, I thought the worst things of myself. I had self-condemnation. I didn't need the devil to give me condemnation. I had the worst self-thoughts, the worst personal conversations with myself. I thought of myself in the most terrible of manners. I just was there and there and there constantly. And so the next Sunday, just to go, hop to this, so the next Sunday, I was supposed to tell the church, we're done. Okay, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I prayed, I prayed, I, and I remember getting up that morning, I go, Lord, I just, I'll tell you what, this is the last Sunday that I just want to give thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you let me be a pastor. Thank you that you let me serve you one day. Thank you that you let me open your word. Thank you that I get to preach the word. If you give me one day to do it, I pray to be humble. I pray to just be focused on your word. I pray to love everybody who comes. And so it was literally, literally, I'm not kidding you, the smallest attendance in the history of the Ranch Church was there that Sunday. We could have fit 25 Ranch Churches in my living room kind of thing. It was just that. And so, okay, I didn't care. Just love everybody, preach the word. And then I just couldn't tell the words were done. And so the next day the accountant comes and says, hey, what happened? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you could stay open for another week. <clears throat> I go, I don't know what happened. All I did is I looked at the church. I said, well, this would be a good Sunday to tithe. <laughs> and I left it at that, you know? And so, so the next Sunday he met me again. He said, he goes, look, but you, look, Rick, all I do is I've got, I've got, I can pay about half the bills. You're done. So you have staff, you have other people, you have, you have obligations. And so tell them this Sunday for sure. But thankfully, we've had a positive week. Again, insert, repeat, I couldn't do it. And you probably know where this is going. And so I'll never forget where three weeks later, he said, hey, you can finally close the church down in good order. We now have enough to pay all of our obligations. You can finally say, you know, it's all done and over with. And I can remember meeting with the Lord. I can remember, and it's very difficult for me not to cry to say that. I remember meeting with the Lord a month later, four weekends in a row, things are getting better. People are actually getting saved. Church is getting rebuilt on the right foundation. And I remember sitting there on a Sunday morning, about five in the morning, just sitting quietly with God. And I said, God, what do you think about the ranch church? Are we done? Are we done? And as I speak to you, the Lord says, I love the ranch church. That's all I heard. From heaven on earth, I, I, I love the ranch church. I love what I'm doing. And so you keep going. And so, Lord, we begin to pull out pride from me and all the carnality and the flesh and the self-centeredness and all kinds of things. You would go on that journey to pull all that out. And the devil would try and corrupt that sanctifying work. But it was of God. And so I shared that just as a very, very real personal nature so that you would understand that God is at work and the evil one's trying to corrupt what he's doing in your life. That God is at work and the evil one's trying to disrupt the deliverance over your life. That God is at work and the evil one is trying to destroy the salvation and promises and power of God that is operating in your life. 
That's why Paul says that there's this wrestling. But he starts this whole section by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So I'm going to invite my prayer team up. And I think some of you have been getting pummeled and pummeled by the evil one. You have the worst words inside you of self-condemnation. You think that you have blown everything. You think that it's just terrible, terrible. You think, if only, Pastor, I told you the story. It's just the worst thing. If that's you, I got good news for you. Church, hear this. God is not done. He has the last words. He has the last words. And I believe some of you have just gotten so pummeled by the evil one, pummeled by the evil one. And because God has been growing and sanctifying you, you think just the worst thoughts as I once did, thinking that I had made every mistake and everything when everything was my fault and the worst and the worst, worst feelings about that. God is here to deliver you. So I just, I just have to tell you that here's how this works, is you have to exercise faith. Like you have an obligation in the exercise of faith in order to be delivered from the things that holds you in this bondage, the very beginning of it. And so that requires you, if that's you, if you have been getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled like that, then I ask you as God as a witness to receive this invitation to pray with these people right now. And all you're going to say is, I've been getting worked. <laughs> I have been getting pummeled. He has been whacking me and whacking me. That's great. And we are going to pray deliverance over you. So your step of faith right here in the middle of people who love you to have enough spiritual and moral courage to right now as you hear my words to get out of your seat and come forward and receive prayer. That public acknowledgement of need is to exercise the beginning of that spiritual power. And there's just no denying it. So if that's you, right here, right now, it doesn't matter whether you're at in the journey of Christ, beginning, middle, or during. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.